Good morning, church. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning, and we'll be looking at verses 13 to 21 in this letter written to a group of churches in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. Peter refers to them as elect exiles. So hear the Word of God starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Well, let's pray. Lord, we commit our way to you now and ask that you open the scripture to our understanding. Guide us, guard us. And carry us along. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, two weeks ago I mentioned that there were six foundational stones that led to a life of thanksgiving, which compelled us to be people who were people who were hopeful and filled with a glorious hope. And the six foundational stones come out of the first part of 1 Peter before he makes any command to do anything. He says, remember this, that you were eternally loved in the Trinitarian embrace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, for, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, for obedience to, to truth under the Lordship of Christ and sprinkling with His blood. Secondly, you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. A living hope that is, a hope that is filled with energy and hope and passion. Uh, it's a life-enhancing, life-embracing hope. Uh, thirdly, he says, you have been some people who've received an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and it will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Fourthly, you're protected by the power of God through faith. When you ask yourself, how will I continue? How will I go on? He says, well, you're protected by the power of God through faith. Fifthly, he says that when trials come, and trials will come, that the Father is using this to develop character in your life so that when Christ comes and you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you will receive praise and glory and honor when you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the sixth stone is to understand 
that the full revelation, the final revelation of God is in the person and work of Christ, that everything before the coming of Christ, the Old Testament promises and the sacrificial system was fulfilled by the reality of Christ. These are things that angels stand on tiptoe and want to see, but you see fully and completely. So it's an amazing statement. But it all begins with the understanding of who Christ is and what he's done. And so just let me say this. If you're worshiping here today or in the worship center and you're just not really sure about who Christ is, you think maybe he's a good teacher but you're not sure if he's really God or you think that he may have been a, a well-meaning man who was just deceived, but, but, but we believe that he is eternally God who became a man in the fullness of time, supernatural birth, lived a sinless life and died on the cross for our sins and rose victorious over death and we become believers as we trust in him alone for our salvation. The Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. And it's nothing you can do. It's the gift of God. In fact, it says here in verses 18 and 19 that you were redeemed from the futile ways that you inherited from your forefathers, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It's an amazing story. But there comes a point in your time, your life, where you pass from not knowing or questions to, from unbelief to belief. And so we ask you to consider stepping across that line today and trusting in Christ. And as you do, the Bible says that these foundational stones become part of your life. And you have a, a living hope, a life-enhancing, a life-giving hope that comes from the knowledge of Christ. And so as you understand these six foundational stones, you have this living hope. And he says in verse 13, he says, Therefore, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Fix your hope completely on the grace of Christ. So, 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 therefore, fix your hope completely on the grace of Christ. And there are some underpinnings to help us fix our hope completely on the grace of Christ, the coming of Christ. And he, he lists them in this passage. He says, you must be people who have minds prepared. He says, gird your minds for action which means turn your long flowing robes, tuck them up, and let them become running shorts. Think well, live well, go forward. You must be people who, who, who think well under the lordship of Christ. You don't just float along. You, you think well. And then he says, secondly, you must be people who are sober-minded, which means to, 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 to live intentionally, to be people who, who live with a sense of purpose. The same word for sober-minded is used, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. Listen. Paul writes, so, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. We don't just float along. We, we, we think intentionally. We think strategically. We think with purpose under the Lordship of Christ. Verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and taking on the helmet of the hope of salvation. So, so a sober-minded person just doesn't float along and as part of the passing milieu. They, they, they think with intentionality. And then the issue we'll discuss this morning is the third underpinning is be holy people. Be, be people who are, who are holy as unto the Lord. Understand that as he has called you as holy, then you also be holy in all your behavior. Now, listen to me. If you live as set-apart people for God, that's what holiness means. If you live as you radically, daily commit your way to the Lord and seek to go deeper into the light and to think biblically and to live biblically, you'll see clearly. 
Because sin deadens and blinds. I was reading, I'm reading an article or reading a book on the seven deadly sins. And there's a wonderful chapter on, on greed. And he says that the greed is the most acceptable of the seven deadly sins by the culture. Uh, as I read about it, I thought about a new storage unit being built on 17 North. And I thought, good grief. You know, I mean, I mean, sometimes there's a reason to have a storage unit. But if you have a storage unit that's filled with junk, give it away. Sell it. Come on. I mean, anyway. But he says about greed. He says, greed, which is loving money or material possessions too much, while affording the mind of its victim apparent delight for a moment, ulcerates it. I love the word. Ulcerates it. Which means to, to, to decay it or to putrefy it. That's what sin does. Sin ulcerates. It's, it's like a group of guys living together in a bachelor place and they've got a refrigerator and in most bachelor places the refrigerator is really a petri dish because you clean it out once every four months or so and so you come in late at night and you want to eat some cereal, you pour a bottle, a bottle of cereal and you open the fridge and there in the corner, in the dark corner is a carton of milk and you Say, oh boy, I can have cereal with milk. And you open it up, and as you begin to pour, the, the odor knocks you over. And the expiration date was in 2010. So that, that's, it's not good. And that's, that, that, that's, that's what sin is. Listen, we know this. Sin is putrefying. Sin is ulcerating. I read another article recently about pornography. And it says this, that the pornography is like, this sin has a compounding effect. Its twin ghosts are confusion and ignorance. And I thought, amen. You know, it's true. That when you're involved in sin, it brings confusion and ignorance. You can't see clearly. So, so we, we, we are called in this passage to, to think well, to live with sobriety, live intentionally, and then to be holy people so that we can see well. Now, I'll give you some principles about holiness. It's got a lot to cover, so listen. Number one, for those of you who raised in conservative enclaves in the South or Midwest, holiness is not what some of you think it is. When you, hear, when you speak of holiness among evangelical Christians, a lot of times their mind goes to what I call holiness codes Four or five things we do not do. Boom, 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 boom. We, we don't, there are certain things we don't attend, attend or go to, certain movies. There, there are certain things that maybe some of us say you shouldn't, you shouldn't drink. There are certain places we don't go. Years ago, there, there's, you just you don't dance. And I've, I've always been amazed at that, that, that dance was such an issue some years ago. People say, the Baptists dance. I say, Baptists dance. They don't dance well, but they dance. It's kind of pitiful, but they, they dance, you know. Um, so, so here's my issue. My issue is that a well-meaning, white-knuckled secularist who, who doesn't even use the name of God can keep some of those lists. You can white-knuckle it and do it. But when I read the Bible and it talks about holiness, holiness is something that, that pushes us into the deeper reality of who Christ is. Uh, 
we should be very sensitive to cultural norms wherever we live. And we shouldn't use our liberty to, 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 to just be uncaring toward people. For example, if you were called in your business to go to a Muslim country or you went as a, as a cross-cultural worker to take the gospel and, and you invited some of your Muslim friends into your home to show hospitality, which I think is in the, the way to, to introduce people to Christ, you don't have bacon and eggs because Muslims don't eat pork. I mean, you just don't do it. You, have, you can have eggs, you can have biscuits, you can have chicken and eggs or whatever you do, but not bacon and eggs. I mean, that, that's just, now, is, does the Bible say you can't eat bacon? I hope not. I just, I hope not. But, yes, yeah, good. But, 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 but really, so we, we show a sensitivity to people around us. But it's, do not let your norms define your holiness. That's it. Your norms. So, so when I look, at, I look at holiness, it's not what uh, we think it is. I was talking to a, a younger person a few months ago. They're millennial, so they think differently about things than this old dude does. And we were talking about one of our favorite actresses. And I just mentioned to this person, I said, you know, uh, that she has a new live-in boyfriend. And the live-in boyfriend just left a well-known actress um, after living with her for two years and has moved in with this actress. And he said, it's good to be away from this previous live-in girlfriend because she was really into weird diets and didn't let him eat a lot of stuff he wanted to eat. Weird, like some of you guys are really into weird diets. You'd be comfortable with her. And, and he says, I like living with this woman because she smokes and eats pizza. And my friend said to me, Oh no, she, because we both like her, she smokes and eats pizza. And I go, Time out. I said, I'm not a smoker, but, but, but boy, I like pizza, right? The issue is not that she likes pizza or smokes. The issue is she's living in open adultery with a man that goes against the law of God. That's what breaks our hearts. So we, we sometimes let our, 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 our inclinations to determine holiness. And I'm saying let, let the Bible determine standards of holiness. So when I look at 1 Peter and I think about holiness, I think about just in the first chapter and a half, just two or three things that Peter says, this is what you must do. For example, 1 Peter 1, verse 22, we'll discuss this next week in death, but he says this. He says, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your hearts for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And I, I go, wow, wow. Now, I, I can forego certain movies, no big deal, but fervently love from the heart, the Holy Spirit says, boom. I, must, I, I cry out, God, there are certain people I just don't enjoy being around, and you know it. And it's, it's hard to fervently love them from the heart. God, you've got to change me. You've got to give me a forgiving spirit. You've got to give me a desire to, to really care for people. You see, that, that, so a holy person, listen, is someone who loves people fervently from the heart, which means no mixed motives, which is wow. And then, then he goes on, he says, for example, in chapter 2, he says, Verse 1 and 2 says, get rid of all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And like a 
little child long for the pure milk of the word. So, so a holy person, listen, a holy person gets rid of malice, hateful attitudes towards people, gets rid of guile, which is being deceitful and deceptive. Hypocrisy, you don't want to appear to be something that you're not. Envy, you, you don't envy. Slander, you don't put people down. You, you, you use your words to bless. And you, you read that and you go, wow, come Holy Spirit. See, a holy person does that, or verse 11 of chapter 2. I urge you as, as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. And you say, in this culture, you know, I, I think of living in 2019, and I think, welcome to first century. The passions of the flesh. You go, I, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. And then verse 13, he says, after he says, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor or who is supreme or the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. And, 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 and you read that and you say, God has established chains and lines of authority. See, a holy person, if you are a Democrat or a never-trumper, in your heart, a holy person says, let's pray for the president. If you're a Republican, a holy person says, let's pray for President Obama. Let's don't criticize him. Let's don't now, we can say we disagree with President Trump here, or President Obama here, or Secretary of State Pompano, or, 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 or Speaker of the House Pelosi, or Majority Speaker of the Senate, or Leader of the Senate McConnell. We, we, disagree, we disagree here. But we pray for them. We don't belittle. We don't slander. We live in a culture of slander and belittling. We don't live that way. And so, so if you're involved in a conversation and, and you're with a bunch of people that, that are your, you're in crowd politically and, and, and they start putting people down and you say something, well, yeah, you know, I disagree with that, but, but we need to really pray that God will protect them and give them wise counselors. I mean, you are set apart. That's a holy man. That's a holy woman. So what so I'm saying is holiness it's not necessarily what we immediately run to when we think about these things, but that's what the Bible does. Secondly, holiness brings light. Sin brings darkness. See, see clearly. I know in my own life that I can see clearly when I'm really pursuing the Lord. And I've confessed my sins and tried to deal with them. Conversely, when I'm not doing that, I, I, I don't see well. John 1.4 says, in him was life about Jesus, and that life was the light of men. Proverbs 4, my favorite Proverbs, verse 18, that says, the, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that grows brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. I see that all the time. The light of dawn, deep darkness. Thirdly, the purpose of holiness is to glorify God and to live in such a way that we can speak the gospel and for our joy. Listen, listen to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how can it be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So see, so what I'm saying is that, is that it, it, it gives you, it glorifies God, and it gives you a platform to speak of Christ. This, the same sentiment is used in chapter 3, verse 15, that says, but, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be prepared. So, so this type of living gives you a place to speak of Christ. And then it, it gives you, it brings joy. Um, We, we have a definition of disciple that I've been given to you that we got from our, our study we're doing as a staff. It says, a disciple is a forgiven sinner who's constantly learning Jesus in repentance and faith. Kind of three, three areas. If I could change anything, I think it's a wonderful definition. Forgiven sinner who's constantly learning Jesus with joy in repentance and faith. With joy because there is a sense of rightness and purpose. So, so it's for the Father's glory to give me a place to speak of Christ with joy. John Calvin, right on this passage, one of the great teachers of the church, died in 1564, says this. There is then no part of our life which is not to be fragrant, sweet-smelling with this good odor. Wow. There's no part of our life, he says, that doesn't have a sense of sweet-smelling fragrance. Our joy. Irenaeus, born in 150, he was discipled by Polycarp, who was discipled by the Apostle John, who wrote the fourth gospel. So, so Polycarp, Irenaeus, Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man fully alive. I love that. The glory of God is man fully alive. How's your joy? In your holiness, glorify God, gives you a place to speak, platform for your joy. <clears throat> Fourthly, it requires effort and work. <clears throat> requires effort, effort and work. Um, <laughs> great music in the worship center. We have wonderful music in this church, both here in the sanctuary and in the worship center. Our, our, our music team does a great job. And there's a wonderful song sung this morning <clears throat> in the worship center, and I loved it. It's based on Psalm 30. It was biblical, but there's a little statement in there that I, I wrote down. I thought, okay, here, here's just an example of, of, let's think out loud. But the words go like this. You've brought me out of darkness, Psalm 30. Now all I see is you. You brought me out of darkness, now all I see is you. And I, I agree with that, um, but, but here's, here's, here's my, my, my issue. I have to work, work to really see Jesus. My heart naturally just kind of inclines away, sometimes slowly and sometimes rapidly. I, I don't just see Jesus. I have to get up in the morning, hit the floor, 
and say, Lord, I'm going to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to walk in the gospel of grace. I'm, I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, this, the Word of God. I'm, I'm going to quench the fiery darts, brush my teeth. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of sins, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. I mean, I have to work. I don't just float into it. It's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I beat my body. I make it my slave. So listen, don't float. You go hard. See, it is something that is Requires work and effort and, and thinking. Now, so it's a great song. It's interesting that so after I said that and said this, that Dustin, who does a great job leading worship, says, you know, I wrote that song. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please, you can critique my sermon anytime you want to. It was, it was a good song. It was a good song. Again, John Calvin says, and even as the most perfect are always very far from coming up to the mark, we ought daily to strive more and more, more and more. And I say to the day we die, more and more. Calvin died at the age of 55-ish, 56, I've forgotten. And he was, he knew he was dying, his body was giving out, and he was in his bed writing a commentary on a book of the Bible for which he had not written a commentary. And they said to him, he said, take, take it easy. And he says, when my Lord and Savior comes for me, I do not want to be idle. Now that, that's taken it to a, a great, but I love the Spirit. I love the Spirit. Are, are, are you, do you understand the effort that's required? Are, are you saying no to say Yes. Well, I'm preaching to myself here. Fifthly, there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. Let me give you this as an, an example. So, <clears throat> so it's just released in Great Britain that, that the, the, the shortest people in the world by country are uh, Indonesians or Bolivians. The average man in Indonesia is 5'3". Um, the tallest nation in the world, you want to guess? Anybody? Netherlands. Netherlands, uh, Finland, the Danes, tall. The average, the average man in the Netherlands is a little over six feet tall. But there's a group of people uh, that are in the Eastern Africa, and one of the subgroups of that people are the Dinka of Southern Sudan, and the average Dinka male is six feet and three inches tall. Really tall, tall people. So, example. Let's say you're six four, six five. You're tall, and, and you go to a Dinka convention. If they have those, I mean, they're 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 here, you know. And, and, and you walk in, no big deal. 
mean, there are people there that are six, seven, six, eight, six, nine. I mean, they're, they're tall people. I mean, the average is six, three. No big deal. Let's say you get on a, on a plane and you fly to La Paz, Bolivia, or to Jakarta, Indonesia, and you walk down the streets of La Paz or, or Jakarta, and you're 6'5", people says, there's a giant here. Paul Bunyan is here. Where's Babe the Blue Ox? You know, he's here. So my, my illustration is this, is, is as the culture, as the culture in many ways slips further and further from any Judeo-Christian heritage. For you to just live a biblical life will set you apart. Will set you apart. There's a price to pay. See, the price to pay is in 1 Peter, where he's talking about being socially ostracized and marginalized and lampooned. Chapter 4, verse 4, they think, it's, they think you're weird that you do not plunge with them in the same flood of sexual dissipation and debauchery. They think you're weird. You've got to count. Listen, you've got to count the cost. Young people, you've got you to pay the price. You've got to count the cost. It's glorious, but that's your calling. Now, I, I, I do this. I'm here. This is, I'm the pastor. I'm, this is, I, I, that's what I do. But I know I talk to people in the marketplace. And then they say, if you're in the marketplace and you show up five minutes early and you're pleasant and you don't complain and bellyache and you do what you're told and you smile, it sets you apart. Now, those are not Herculean things. Or if you go into the break room, they're telling a racist joke or an off-color joke and you just kind of quietly leave, man, it sets you apart. That's, those aren't Herculean, Superman, Batman things. I remember as a, as a cadet at the Citadel years ago, I was a knob, freshman. And very quickly, we were taught by precept and example that if you sat on the first few rows, in rows of the class and, and you answered questions and you took notes and you showed up on time and you did the right thing, you didn't complain and, and you didn't dissipate yourself on the weekend at parties that, 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 that people would make fun of you and call you weird because that's, that's what they kind of pushed you to do and a lot of people did. And so I was standing at a crossroads as a freshman at the Citadel. And I was thinking, you know, am I going to be part of this crowd that just kind of doesn't care and tries to get away with everything they can and just kind of skates or am I going to do this? And I said, I'm, I'm just not sure. And something happened my, my soft my, my second semester. I came to know Jesus. I heard the gospel of grace, and I believed. And I started reading the Bible. And I saw, well, if I'm, a, if I'm a Christian, I need to honor those in authority. Oh, okay. If I'm a Christian, I should work hard as unto the Lord. Huh. If I'm a Christian, I just do the right thing. Huh. It answered my questions for me. I became part of this crowd. I wasn't a super cadet. Don't misunderstand me. But, but, but you know, I, I want to do the right thing. See, the, the Bible just kind of helps you think through these issues. And this, this, this price to be paid, but it's a glorious price. Because when you pay the price, you have a platform to say, this is why I'm different. This is what's happened to me. And this, this hope is extended to all people, including you guys. So live it out, guys. Now, very quickly, I want to make three points about this passage and then We'll be done. Number one, 
He starts off his appeal by, by, by saying this. And don't, don't, do not miss this. He says, as obedient children. He's talked about obedience three times in this chapter. He says now, as, as obedient children. I think he's getting to this point. This, obedient children adopted into the family of God forever by the work of Jesus. There was a guy named John Murray who wrote a little book called a Redemption, Accomplished, and Applied. He was a theologian at Westminster Seminary from Scotland. Wonderful thinker. And he, he says that, that, that adoption is the apex or the acme or the highest point of our regeneration, our, our being born again. He said it's, it's one thing to say, the Lord says, your sins are forgiven. There's this who's saying, your sins are forgiven, and then saying, I embrace you as my child. So don't ever forget, as you go into this lifestyle, that God has said, obedient children. Another Puritan guy named Thomas Godwin said, the understanding of this is like you're walking down the street with your dad, and he's holding your hand, and all is well, but out of nowhere, your dad picks you up and embraces you and kisses your neck. He said, that is adoption. So, so glory in the fact that there's always a seat at the table for you. There is, because of the cross. So, so as obedient children, I appeal to you, don't be conformed, just as he uses in Romans 12, verse 1, don't be conformed to the former way of life that was ignorantly lived out by you. So, number, number two, holiness placed in our life under the Lordship of Christ, I think this is so important, happens as I behold the wonder of the cross. Verse 18, knowing this, see, he says, you, you live this way knowing this, you were ransomed from the futile ways Inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, foreknown. This is, this is foreknown, planned before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these days, these last times, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. I mean, how, how, do you, how do you go forward in holiness when it's difficult and, and when you're a minority report and being pushed to the side? Hey, listen, you behold the wonder of the cross, church. You, you, you behold the glory of Christ. What, what cripples sin? Behold the wonder of Christ. What breathes in us a forgiving spirit? Behold the wonder of the cross. God forgave an unworthy, unwilling rebel like me, then I should be forgiving. What, what causes us to love others and serve others? The glory of the cross. What compels us to serve? What, what destroys racism, no matter what your ethnicity is or your zip code or your geographical orientation? What destroys, destroys racism or, or gender bashing or, or political trumpeting? The glory of the cross. 
Like Isaac Watts said, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. And thirdly, in this text, we must know the gentle mercies of Abba Father and be thankful. Look at verse 17. If you call, now we call because we've been called unto the Lord. Calling implies empowering. If you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. You say, what does that, what does that mean? Fear? Well, fear here means reverence, deep respect, love, and awe, adoration. So I want you to get this. Hebrews 12 talks about God disciplines his children. He cares for us. And then the argument goes something like this, and it's in the worship guide. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, our discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, this is a hard teaching, but I want you to hear me. The Bible says that when we get off the track, that God in His tender Abba Father mercies seeks to bring us back. God disciplines those whom He loves. God does not let us go willy-nilly into the desert without bringing us back. Here's my example. Let's say that you are in Colorado and you are going on a fourth grade overnight trip and you as a parent are in a car in front of the activity bus and the teacher in charge is asking you as a parent to go forward and make sure the hotel is ready to receive these 34th graders. And as you go down around the mountain, everybody got lost. It's dark now. Rain has come. Fog has set in. There's no guardrails. And as you come around the corner, there's a bridge over 2,000-foot chasm, and that bridge has been destroyed somehow. I don't know why. The bridge is gone. And so you come to a halt right before you go into the, into the abyss, and you realize that you can break quicker than a school bus can break, and you've got to stop the school bus. And so what you do is you fiercely turn around, and you charge back up the mountain about a mile, and, and you get out, and you start waving a flashlight and putting out signal flares. And you, you say to your friend with you, says, just in case, just in case, go about 150 yards down that way and put out some, some tight traffic spikes. You know, traffic spikes, you know, are, are spikes that will deflate the tires and, and the, the, you can't go. It deflates the tires. I mean, if you've ever been to a country where they don't drive on the, they don't drive on the left-hand side, they drive on the right-hand side, they don't 
go on the right-hand side. They go on the left-hand side as they drive. It's, it's, it's really mind. For about, for about three hours, you're going, good grief, what's going on? And as you leave the parking lot, one side has traffic spikes to keep you from stealing a car. And the other side, you said, so do not be confused about which side to go on. Because you don't want to be embarrassed and have to pay a bunch of money because you destroy two tires. Anyway, it's traffic spikes. And, and, and so the bus driver doesn't see you. But as he goes, hits the traffic spikes, and he stops. That's a picture of the discipline of God, I think. So, so when we're off, off, off target, God gives you a sense of unrest and unease. He's waving a flashlight. Get back on the road. Get back on the road. And as we continue to go, there are signal flares. Get back on the road. And as we continue to go, he, he puts traffic spikes out. And, and anybody here that has been a believer very long, I have, has experienced the discipline of God in his life. When, when you, you, you hold to a sin, you won't let go, you won't forgive, and, and life, life isn't pleasant. It's not pleasant. Psalm 32, David's involved in sin. And he says, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. He says, my strength was sapped as if in the high heat of the summer. But then I turned to you and you forgave me. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are covered. So, so I say to you this morning, if, if God is disciplining you because there's a sin that you're holding on to, no, run to the cross. Deal with it. Don't linger there. Don't, don't short-circuit your joy and your happiness and your peace and your usefulness. Go into the light. Because God is good. He's gloriously good. C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called Surprised by Joy. It deals with how he came to, came to faith in Christ. And let me just read this and let me tell you a story. And he says this. He said, I was there in my room at Oxford. He's 32, 33. He says, I felt the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. So I, I didn't want to know the God who told me what to do. I, I was very happy living my life the way I wanted to live it, I thought. I did not see then what is now the most shining and obvious thing of all, the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking and struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape? But I was compelled to come in. And then he said this. It's one of the greatest lines Lewis ever wrote. And I discovered the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. God is good in his triune mercy. There's a man named Thomas Nagel who taught at Princeton and New York University. He's a Ph.D. in philosophy, a brilliant man, an avowed atheist. He's still alive. He's 82, 83. And he said this regarding God. He said, I want atheism to be true. He's an atheist. I want it to be true. 
And I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God, exclamation point. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not a rare condition. I am curious whether there is anyone who is genuinely indifferent as to the whole, whether there is a God. See, he says, I don't want there to be God because I don't want to relinquish control of my life. Those of us who understand our sin and our need and our desperate plight say, thanks be to God for his intervention in the personal work of Jesus. Do you see your need? Therefore, we gladly run to Christ because he's beautiful. See, some people, I read recently about a very readable book by a guy named Sid Luckman. If you're a Chicago Bears fan, you know Sid Luckman. He was was an all-pro quarterback in the 40s and 50s for the Chicago Bears. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He died about 10 years ago at the age of 83. Lived a a wonderful life. In fact, I think his tombstone said, "I, I, I lived, I embraced everything, and I died happy, something like that. Sid Legman was raised in Brooklyn. His dad was a businessman. He was a junior in high school, was a great athlete. And when he was a junior in high school, his father had a fallen out with his business partner who was his brother-in-law, and he, he killed his brother-in-law. And so Sid Luckman sat beside his, behind his dad at the trial, and when he was in his last month of his junior year, the jury found his father guilty and sent him to prison. Sid Luckman later found out that his grandfather was involved with the mafia and his father was an unethical businessman. And so his, from that day forward, he and his mother never spoke the name of his father the rest of her life or his life. Never. And this book says that Sid Luckman spent the remind, remaining years of his life trying to live in such a fashion that he would not be associated with his father. He went to Columbia, was an all-American athlete, on the cover of Life magazine, all-pro quarterback for Chicago Bears, a well-known businessman who did the right thing and helped people. So he worked feverishly to not be associated with his father, to get out of his father's shadow. Conversely, conversely, people who know the living God want to feverishly pursue him so they can be like their heavenly father. He says, be holy as I am holy. And Paul's whole basis in 1 Corinthians 6 and laying down some very difficult exhortations about lawsuits and sexual purity. And, 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 and he, says, he says, do you not know that you are bought with a price, that your body is the whole temple of the Holy Spirit? Honor God with the totality of all that you are. And as I say, church, I say, let us be people who bring our life under the splendor and the light of the glory of Jesus so that we can honor the living God, so that we can speak the gospel to those around us, and so that our joy will be full. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the message from Peter. And I I pray that as obedient children, 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 we would not be conformed to the patterns of this world. But we would be willing to be different and 
to live in such a way that Christ shines in us and through us and we can give an answer for the reason of the hope that we have with humility and gentleness and grace. I pray that as we walk in the shadow of the cross that, that you would deal continually with the sins that we all have to deal with or we all have to deal with. That, that as, even as we grow old and get into our final years that, that, that we say more and more and more of Christ, more and more and more obedience. So set our hearts on pilgrimage by the power that you bring, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.